0: Sad. So-
1: to entertherealworld.com. I'm your host, Benjamin Phillips. I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Matthew Waters. Yeah, you're stealing my cadence
0: now, as well, as always, by Ben Phillips. Uh, yeah, hello, hi everyone. I've listened
1: to you do so many episodes, of <laughs> I know, yeah. I, could,
0: I autopilot it now. I, I used to try and do all these bespoke intros, and then I was like, this is bad, just do I the same will. Thing.
1: I will at some point develop my own voice but I figure brand continuity is important
0: <laughs> So for now you're just going to use mine
1: Yeah, just okay. use yours for now uh, This is Nothing Ever Ends our podcast covering HBO's Watchmen This is episode 3 We'll be covering episodes 3 and 4 of the TV show So how are you finding it so far?
0: Uh, I love it a lot, I think it's really really cool and I'm sad that I'm now like pretty much halfway through it I do know, you know Manhattan is still to come, uh, although I'd imagine that'll be later. But, yeah, I I think it's really, really cool. I am thrilled that Gene Smart showed up. There are some characters who are... Either introduced or shown for the first time, I suppose, technically, because they've all been on the peripheral in these two episodes that I am just enamoured with, quite frankly.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this these two episodes that we're covering today introduce the kind of the last two big missing characters from the ensemble. Uh, we get Jean Smart as Laurie Blake, oh. uh, or as she's known to fans of the original comic, uh, Suck Spectre. Or the Comedienne. Or well, the comedian, she is here, obviously aged up quite a bit. Gene uh, Smart, notably older than Mel and Ackerman. Well, uh, time has passed.
0: And time funny, has passed. A funny thing happens. Uh, she's aging more noticeably every day. Uh, that's
1: that's a little reference to Watchmen there. It is. It is. We also get to meet Hong Chow as Lady True.
0: Oh, uh, the so e- good.
1: <laughs> the enigmatic owner of True Industries, which basically bought out. Veidt Industries, or Veidt mm. Enterprises, following his death. Um, or
0: Disappearance. Per PTPedia, they went to <laughs> Karnak to ask him if they could buy his company, and as there was no one there, th- legally I guess you can just do that. <laughs> I don't know. He has no yeah. children, he has no relatives, so...
1: But yeah, though both of these two get introduced, obviously everyone else gets to carry on being fantastic, but... Like, obviously, when the trailer came out of Comic-Con, Gene Smart's a big part of that. I think Gene Smart was one of the early announcements, and obviously you're enamored with Jean Smart after her fantastic performance in Fargo Season 2, a great performance in Legion Season 1, and then I cannot co- possibly <laughs> comment on what she's like in Season 2 or Season 3 of Legion, because I've not seen either of those uh, yet.
0: Un- unfortunately absent, but still brings it when asked to. And, uh, yeah, I-, I was shocked to not see her in the first two episodes of the show, because I you know, I don't I wouldn't say she's their biggest get, but like that's a heavyweight of television and uh perfectly cast here and flexing every goddamn muscle she has and just like I think making Noah Hawley regret not putting her in more of Legion, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, I mean obviously probably the biggest get of the show is Regina King. Like mm. <laughs> in between leftovers in this she wins an Oscar. Mm. This is is it her first big role post Oscar? Uh
0: would
1: imagine yes. so. Yes, yes yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. She wins the Oscar in 2019, early 2019. She does nothing in between this and then obviously just filming the show. So, HBO well, gets all the kind of kudos for having an Oscar winner be the lead actor in this cast. And then, I mean, Gene Smart's probably like a number two. Tim Blake Nelson's a, a character actor who kind of like hangs around the edges. Jeremy Irons really fun. Yeah, but they got him for Alfred, so that guy will do anything at this point. <laughs> he, so. he will do anything and at least they finally confirm in this third episode, he is playing. Oh God! Beat.
0: The the attempt to make that a dramatic reveal, Adrian fight and it's like well yeah <laughs> and also spoiling it even further i had the subtitles on as i think we both generally have subtitles on for a lot of <laughs> these things they identify him as fucking adrian at one point i was like oh all right well
1: i think i think someone someone pointed out that at the comic-con where they had the cast out to kind of do a little interview before the show happened uh they had cast photos and one was of jeremy irons and it didn't credit him as playing a character it just said underneath it playing the character you probably assume he's playing was was how they did it we're not going to tell you because it is a reveal within the show but it's really obvious and it's not the reveal isn't as egregious as as we mentioned last week uh, in Star Trek Into Darkness when they pulled the Khan rug out from under you
0: yeah or like Westworld Series 1 like when something big is like, I don't know, when, when a large part of your thing depends on fooling an audience that has figured you out immediately, it's like, eh, awkward. And, like, I, I don't think it, well, so far, it doesn't feel like it's, like, ruined anything, because, I mean... I don't know, if you'd if you never read the book. Uh, uh, imagine watching the show if you'd never read the book. That's something I'd like to speak to someone. Uh, Ooh, uh, I, I, or or, or seen the film, or like knows
1: anything about Watchmen. Um, my I, partner literally did it that way.
0: Okay, she Oh, she saw some of the film while you were having to watch it for this, didn't she?
1: Yeah, that was her first time watching the film. She'd never yeah. read the book, never seen the film, and so the, we watched the TV show together, so that was her first okay. exposure to anything Watchmen. Yeah. And she did mostly understand it.
0: Yeah, because, like, I, I would stop every now and then and be like, oh, so this person is this person and this is their relationship. And then about when I pressed resume, they did it themselves in a way. And it's like, I think the show has enough smarts to catch you up if you don't know what's going on. Like, there's enough context clues going on that everything makes sense. And I, yeah, if he wasn't going to be on it's like, what, well, what the hell's happening here? It's just this crazy old man in a castle doing things that i will explain
1: <laughs> so we'll crack straight on with the third episode of the show entitled she was killed by space junk written by damon lindelof and lila Biok, uh, directed by stephen williams african-american director who did a lot of lost he was kind of the second director on lost obviously this show is very heavily dealing with african-american issues of race and racial violence so they very much wanted you have a person of color who was kind of behind the wheel for some of these episodes even if nicole cassell is is ostensibly the lead director on the show stephen williams was definitely their number two or i think i think he does take over as uh the proper executive producer by the end of the season just because of being a person of color and having the grounding to kind of like make some decisions when it came to how they would stage stuff
0: yeah and i think that's important to have those voices in the room behind the camera like key roles, uh, creatively.
1: Yes. Right. So, we open this episode with the triumphant on-screen first appearance of Jean Smart as, as Laurie Blake, uh, taking on her late father's name. Yeah. Many, many years after his death.
0: Yeah, interesting. I found, like, that hinted at in the, in the PTPD, like, supplementary stuff that HBO were putting out, that's said in either the first or the second file. And that was that was one that sort of took me by surprise, because, I mean, there's making peace with who your father is, and then there's, like, in some way honouring him, and it's like, knowing what you know about him, that seems a choice. And I don't know if that will ever be expounded upon, but, yeah, certainly one that was like, hmm, an yeah. eyebrow has raised.
1: <laughs> I think they're definitely taking a similar route to how the original Sult Spectre kind of forgave... Eddie in the yeah. original comic, like they had a consensual sexual relationship after the rape attempt, Maybe, the, the rape that happened.
0: But he was a horrible fucking man that like tried oh, yeah, to no, rape he's just, your he's
1: mother. Obviously, not, obviously, but I think they are kind of aiming for parallels. Obviously, something mm. in between 1987 and 1995 kind of like changed her opinion when she took on the the code Comedian, yeah. and this episode obviously opens with her telling a joke to. A machine that ostensibly supposed to transmit messages to Dr. Manhattan on yes. Mars, owned by the true corporation. And she tells one of those brilliant kind of jokes that you tell, pretend you fucked up the punchline. And then bring it back. Like, and yeah, then bring it back. I, j-
0: I was just, I've been re-watching BoJack Horseman, and uh, they do that with Lisa Kudrow's character, where she's trying to distract him with a joke, and then she's like, oh, I messed it up, and tells a completely different one. And then, yeah, exact same thing.
1: There's a few episodes in this that feel like Leftovers episodes, and this is one of them in that this episode is structured like a joke in the same way that the, the final Matt episode in season three of The Leftovers is also structured with that punchline of, that's the guy I was telling you about uh, <laughs> as God is eaten by a lion.
0: Oh, um, Jesus.
1: <laughs> this, is, this is very much a similar riff to that. Like Again, it's also coming back to what Watchmen did with the Pagliacci joke. Yes, she Rorschach punctuates
0: tells. that in the exact same way. Like, good joke, everybody laugh, roll on smared, snare drum or whatever. Yeah, I thought that was very pointed as well. Which, but... cause that is
1: in his journal, isn't it? That's not yeah, 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 yeah. internal. It so is. So that she's obviously someone who's read his journal, for her to have riffed on that quite as heavily, even if she is quite disparaging of Rorschach in, in other ways. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so she tells this joke about a a father and daughter who are building uh, an outdoor barbecue pit and they ostensibly finish building it and there's a brick left over so the man takes a sledgehammer and completely destroys what he's built and then the daughter decides to take the brick and just throw it in the air as hard as she can
0: oh no i messed it up yeah D- never mind that i'll tell you a different joke
1: <laughs> yeah and then we get one of the, a classic kind of like four people walk into hell Three.
0: Three people are at the pearly gates. The first, And they're all heroes. The first one is dressed like an owl and God says, how many people did you kill? And he says, nobody. And God says, well, your heart's in the right place, but you're too soft, and sends him to hell. And then the next one is the smartest man in the world. She keeps calling him smarty pants. And then God asks, how many people did you kill? And he says, three million. And then God calls him a monster and sends him to hell. And then the last guy is basically God. I can't remember how she phrases this, but she's like, so you can tell them apart, this one and this one. And
1: this one is blue, yes. and walks around with his giant blue cock yeah, out. Whatever. Yeah, it's <laughs>
0: like, original God says to Blue God, or something like that. And it's like, you know, how many people did you kill? And he she repeats that line of, uh, a living body and a dead one have the same number of atoms or particles or whatever. And I, I can't remember how this one is phrased, but it's basically like, why aren't you scared about me sending you to hell. And it's like, oh, I already am there. You know, just playing on the whole, he sees the past, the future. He sees everything that's going to happen. He takes no action. And then after the three have gone through, that's when she says, oh, and he's ready to go home for the day. He's done a a, a good day's work of sending people to hell. And then uh, there is a woman who has no talent to speak of, was forgotten about. And then the brick lands on God's head and kills him. <laughs> and, you know, this is very prestige tv uh style joke telling and, and you know this kind of oh it's all a metaphor type thing and i guess with this she's trying to say that like everyone pays attention to these the big men from the crime busters who who did this that and the other and like they're the men in her life in some ways although i guess the comedian would be more than Osmandius but like while everyone's paying attention to them and all their gimmicks I guess she's able to operate because no one pays any attention to her. Is that what they're getting at here?
1: Sort of. I mean, obviously, the, the final payoff to the joke is the fact that the car from the end of the second episode falls out the sky in front of her. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and she starts laughing in that classic comedian way that this is the, the joke that breaks her yes. in that huge, cathartic way. But yeah, I think it is like her... She is the daughter. Like, ostensibly, her father might be the bricklayer at the start of the episode. And... Yes. She's she's the daughter who's kind of uh, taking on God or taking on uh, this idea, hmm. but it's it's that double pronged joke where she thinks that because she's sending this message to Doctor Manhattan because she was so close to this person who's been gone for 30 years, she's communicating to or she's doing the only thing she can communic- like they even say that she's like a platinum member of this service like she's someone who comes in there so frequently yeah. to talk to Doctor Manhattan and then. A car falls out the sky. Yeah, like
0: brick. send me a sign, and then a fucking car falls from the sky. And yeah, and I I, I also think like we talked about. I can't remember if we got it on 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 mic or not, but I talked about how Laurie might be at times underserved compared to some of the men in the book, and you made the point that it's more that her relationships are, she's defined by her relationships to all the other characters, like she is the legacy of her mother, and she is the daughter of the comedian, and she is the girlfriend of these two men, and, you know, this, that, and the other, so I think that might tie into it as well, is that, like, she is sort of left out and defined by how she relates to all these people, and then, like, she's actually going to take this much bigger role. I and they, I can't remember if it's in the episode or in the supplementary material, but, like, they have been hinting at like they've cap- they captured Dan and Laurie at some point, and o- and Laurie is obviously operating now as an FBI agent, and-, and Dan is still in custody. And I was like, did they break up? Are they sort of just separated by prison? This that and yeah. And I and she does end up saying that like he wanted kids, I wanted guns or something like that. But, but before they confirm that, I was like, well. Maybe it's, like, you know, it's not that she misses John and John was the love of her life and she wants him back. I think it's just, like, she was intimately familiar with the most powerful man in the whole world. And, like, no matter if he's nice or frustrating or whatever, there will never be anyone else like him. So I think it's just this, like, incre- this like intense bond that she will always want to, in some way, communicate with him. Because I would not ship... John and Laurie, like, I think that's a bad couple and I I, I think she was better with Dan but, yeah, it, it, I just found it interesting, she was still calling him and there was another thing she is doing that involves <laughs> Dr. Manhattan uh, but yeah, I was just, you know trying to puzzle it out of, like, obviously we end on a sort of happy ever after with Dan and Laurie and now we've gotten to a place where they've broken up she's in the FBI, he's in prison she's calling Dr. Manhattan, she's doing something else, and yeah, I, I found that quite fascinating, but that will play out like right now, almost.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is this is a concerted effort on the show's part to kind of bring Laurie front and center. Yeah. Uh, obviously, she's missed the first two episodes, but ostensibly, she probably is kind of one of the kind of two or three main characters of the show. Mm. Like, obviously, Don Johnson died at the end of the pilot. Tim Blake Nelson, like, is never going to kind of build up to be one of the the main characters in the show. So yeah, I think up...
0: the more of him you do, the the magic will go away a bit
1: yes so they they hold off on introducing gene smart but she is probably the second lead going forward from now
0: yeah
1: but they make a very obvious effort to give her a lot of screen time in this one in that this is the first episode that feels like an episode of The leftovers with it being so firmly centered on her point of view and her experiences uh i don't think there are many scenes in the episode that don't feature her in some way
0: it it did remind me a lot of The Leftovers because I can't remember the exact context of this but there's definitely a mem- an episode of The Leftovers where we're following a completely different character and then like two thirds of the way through Kevin and Nora just rock up and they're treated as if they're peripheral characters and we get the same yeah. thing here when she meets Angela at the funeral um, and it's like oh yeah she's the main character isn't she? Uh, because I got lost in this magical play starring Gene Smart.
1: Yes, because whilst the joke is playing out and this great music plays every single time she's telling the joke, that builds and builds and builds, and then cuts out when we see whatever the context is playing in the background, and we have Laurie walking through a bank.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was at first like, "Oh, has she fallen on hard times? Is this why she got brought in?" I was like, "Nope, she is." So she's like ostensibly robbing a bank. And then an obvious Batman knockoff called Mr. Shadow. Modern Batman I would say, like movie Batman with a gruff voice called Mr. Shadow uh, is like there to try and stop her robbing the bank but then it turns out everyone in the fucking bank
1: is an FBI agent. (laughs) And, yeah, she is in charge of or one of the main agents in the anti-vigilante task force, or however they call it. Yeah. She shoots this guy three times in the back as he tries to run away, uh, <laughs> as he realises that it's all a sting operation. Uh, as she's walking outside and they're cutting this guy away, someone comes up to her and asks, like, how did you know that he was wearing bulletproof armour? And she just doesn't answer him because... Yeah. She does not care at this point. She's she's very much gone full comedian at this point, where it's like I don't care. This and after, doesn't
0: <laughs> and after she shoots him, everyone looks at her and she's like, "What?" <laughs> I
1: and think... then even even down to the fact that someone outside says like, "Why would you do this? This man's a hero," and she says, "He's not a hero. He's a fucking joke."
0: Yeah.
1: Like they're they're really layering on. She really is the comedian's daughter at this point. She is she's looked into the, the his despair. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh dear. Uh,
1: but she's she's not, you know. She gets her joys still at home. <laughs> but she we... does. She goes home, opens a suitcase, which we don't see the inside of. She no. feels her owl. Yeah, who's named uh, who?
0: For a moment, I was like, she got a fucking snake, and then I was like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, of course, she's got a fucking owl called uh, called who, as you say. Good, good uh, bit there.
1: Good bit there with with not great Bob. Uh, <laughs> And and she plays Devo over the scene, which is one of the real-life bands that's mentioned in the original Watchmen. A lot of the pulls in the soundtrack, particularly in this episode, are from explicit references to bands and artists in Watchmen. Mm. And then, yeah, uh, Senator Keane shows up and goes, I'm sending you to Tulsa, because some shit's going down in Tulsa, and I want you there. Yes, and this is very
0: clearly tipping his hat to being the fucking villain of the show, I think, because... He mentions how other cities want to adopt a uh, DOPA, Defence of Police Act, which is his baby, I guess. His version of his father's keen act. And yeah, I mean, I think the events of this episode kind of make it clear that he might be orchestrating a lot of things to convince other cities to use the the DOPA Act, the, the, the Defence of Police Act. And he's running for president, right? He, or, is or he, said he, he is running for
1: president. He wants to. Or, yeah. He is, I think, the rumored frontrunner for the Republican ticket okay. in the upcoming okay. election.
0: Yeah. Well, that would be my as as someone who hasn't seen where this goes, my guess is he is behind the Seventh Cavalry and various other things. And but Matt, how
1: can you how can you explain away the fact that Seventh Cavalry tried to murder him later um, on this episode? Because,
0: well, were they going to like they say we want him to come with us?
1: That was a very real bomb. Well, that man had strapped to him. It
0: was, but it only went off because Laurie shoots him in the fucking head.
1: That is very true. But we're getting headless. He was
0: like, "Give me, give us, give me Keen," and you know, no one dies. We're we're walking away with him. Like, who knows what they were going to do with him? But anyway, yes, and uh, he makes mention of, you know, if she does this. She says some. He says something to the effect of "Get the owl out of his cage."
1: Yeah, pardon anyone she wants, even get that owl out of its cage. Yes, because so
0: even if she and Dan have broken up, and I, I think they have, or they hit some kind of very rough patch, she clearly she doesn't st- want him like rotting in prison. Yeah, and like she's still got a fucking owl called who, and maybe it was his. Maybe she got it for him. I I I don't know, but it's it's a cute little. Uh, nod to
1: him, and, and yeah, yeah, he is—he is still rotting away in prison. And there's a there's an implication that she talked when they both got arrested in 1995, and Dan never spoke, which is why he's locked away. And a lot of his designs were given out to police forces across the country. Like you see, Angela later on the episode use the owl goggles again. Yes, um, Merlin Corp. Merlin Corp. But yeah. the but interestingly, the the final transcript of the paedophile. Uh, before Laurie becomes an FBI agent, is her saying, I can tell you what happened on 11 yeah.
0: Tell your boss to tell his boss to tell his boss. <laughs> and, she, and she mentions Gatsby, which is an obvious reference to Robert Redford, who is the sitting president. Um, she knows... I, I love
1: all the different references that the show and the <laughs> existing material have to Robert Redford the, she, the Do you think Darlson anyone chief.
0: told him that he's like a 28 year sitting president in the fiction of this show? <laughs>
1: I think he signed off on it, he has to like his oh, picture okay. is
0: in the show, he must have signed off on it, but nice. Yeah, she's like, Tell, I know what really happened on 11 too, so At first I was like, well, maybe because her dad worked for the government, they might be willing to cut her a deal, or maybe it's this that she was, maybe Dan just pled the fifth on everything
1: and she was like, right, I know things, I want to cut a deal now. Yeah, I'm going to talk to the higher ups, give them some more context behind things that happened and and get some kind of pass. Well, isn't
0: there also isn't there also the implication that they know what happened but they don't want the public to know and she's threatening to tell people if they don't pardon her essentially because there's something in the um in the files from part 1 or part 2 about an alleged rift between Redford and Vite after originally working together and i i i assume Redford knows what happened but i could be reading that wrong and i might be completely uh proven to be wrong in, the, in that the would be a that would be
1: a very interesting piece of information to give to a president go like yeah you're not in power because of anything you did you're in power because of my behind the scenes machinations well yeah he
0: bankrolled it all they say that he basically they call him like a kingmaker and like a political uh something or other but yeah like ozymandias essentially allowed a democratic presidency after however many years of nixon so
1: yeah mm-hmm. I, I don't
0: know but Either way, uh, Keen is sending her to Tulsa.
1: Yes, but first she has to stop by the FBI field office to kind of have a a debrief with her chief, who we get a lot of exposition in this scene. Mm. We meet Petey, who writes the PTPD files in these very long uh, (laughs) questionably political notes. I was
0: saying to you, I cannot get a beat on him at all, because I was like imagining him on one end of the political spectrum, and then on the other, and I was like what kind of guy is this? And then when I met him, I was like oh. He's a fucking nerd, okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's a fucking nerd who secretly Puts in a page from Rorschach's journal Into a debrief from what's going on In Tulsa And the chief of the FBI turns around to him and goes, is it the 1980s? No? Then who gives a shit about Rorschach? Which is a fantastic line. And this guy's like, well, they're wearing Rorschach masks. Like, it's kind of important. We should be looking into this stuff.
0: Yes, his role is to
1: be a voice of reason who gets ignored by everyone else. He is is the fanboy of the show. He is the person who knows all of this stuff. When Laurie's like, I don't want to take a whole load of suits with me to Tulsa, I want a small team that's just me, because I'm the one who knows how to do this shit, yeah. she is forced to kind of bring someone, and so she cho- chooses Agent Petey, because he obviously does know his shit. And he's non-threatening, and he's not going to try
0: and, like, bulldoze over her or anything, so um, I think she's yeah. like, yeah, I guess he's non-threatening and the least of a prick in this room, I'll take him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and
1: then, then they got on the plane together and <laughs> she thinks she has a bead on him. Because mm. uh, obviously like, he's like, oh, I've brought a domino mask because when in Rome. Yes. Which like, is...
0: Tulsa's not Rome or <laughs> whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, and he's like, oh, I'm a police officer, so therefore I should be wearing a mask as well. It's legally allowed here. And she's yeah. just like, no, stop this. <laughs>
0: Gr- grow up. Yeah, grow and up. she's like, do you want a fucking autograph? And then he goes off about his history degree and 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 all of these things which also came up in ptpedia um yeah and then just it's, like it's... don't talk to me like i'm a fucking fan <laughs> yeah
1: like because it, it, it's weird because obviously he knows a hell of a lot about all of these costumes heroes but it also feels like he's got no reverence for any of them yeah he
0: said he wrote his thesis or his dissertation on like Something about the police, or the police strikes following eleven two 2 or, or something to that. No, I no, the, the
1: 1977 police strikes. The, oh! The, event, the events we see in the comic book yep. when they're all quelling the riots that led to the Keen Act.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, because the costumed heroes had sort of like, made the police a bit redundant, or, or it was all just getting a little bit too extreme, and the police I guess were in the line of fire, and yeah. So I think, yeah, I don't know if he necessarily, like,
1: approves of them as much as he's studied them a lot. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's an interesting dynamic for this show to have. Yeah. And I'm glad that Petey's there as kind of the the person who is us as an audience. Like, he is the one who's probably got the most pieced together idea of what happened yeah. back in the original Watchmen, who wasn't ostensibly there.
0: Yeah. He's someone but, who read the comic and wasn't a participant, so he doesn't yes. have
1: a bias. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we get to Tulsa, and Laurie Blake decides to go investigate the police force. They end up outside this non-script warehouse where Red Scare and Pirate Jenny... Pirate Jenny. So good. <laughs> Pirate Jenny uh, show up outside. Uh, she goes over and asks them, and they're like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. She tells them she's an FBI agent, and then she asks the prisoner they've got with them, who's obviously their own duress <laughs> and probably has had none of his rights read to him, she asks him, are your civil rights being violated? He gives a long list of things that are wrong, and she's like, oh, I don't give a shit. I'm just kidding, I don't care.
0: <laughs> and I love this repeated beat where she's, they say their names, and she goes, wow, cool. And it's like, <laughs> the energy throughout this is, you are all idiots for dressing up in costumes, even though she did the same thing for, like... 30 years of her life. And it's like, is she she saying she's grown out of it, or because she participated in it and now is over it, she's, like, resentful of it, or whatever, or finds it ridiculous, now she's gotten away from it. Or, I guess on some level she was always a bit like, ugh, why do I have to wear a fucking costume? Um, Yeah,
1: it's like, it's such a good read on where this character would end up 30 years later. Like, I have existed in this world my entire life, my mother forced me into this, I've slept with... (laughs) <laughs> Two of the most famous of these heroes. I was involved in a world-ending event. I am utterly sick bathed of this in it. Shit. I'm sick of this and utterly <laughs> bathed in it. And the yeah. idea that there are police officers running around in Tulsa mm. pretending to be a violent communist and a fucking pirate, I am <laughs> done with this shit. Uh,
0: and then she meets another one.
1: And then she meets Looking Glass, who I, this uh, another great scene. Like, I, I text you to say like Regina King and Jean Smart have great chemistry, but she also has really good chemistry with Tim Blake Nelson. Oh yeah. I uh, I, I will like, count
0: this as my uh, subversion of the pod that I said would happen when we saw it the first time
1: because you're like, Oh it's a racist detective and he's like that's an oversimplification. <laughs> I think I think it's it's a fantastic version of this in that she is very much kind of an exposition machine. Like, she is here to serve as, as I'm going to describe this to, to people in the most layman terms possible.
0: Yeah, she's the outsider coming in and getting an immediate beat on it. And, uh, yeah, like, she knows his name.
1: She knows Angela's name. Um, he basically... Does he fully take the mask off? He he leaves it on on top of his head. Yes. Uh, there, there is stuff there which you'll find out about coming up, about why he would, wouldn't would remove the full mask. But yeah, that is okay. a hint.
0: I did know he was up. dabbing at the outside of the mask with a yellow cloth of some kind. I was like, what are you doing, you dum-dum? I, I like that the pod has a screensaver. <laughs> so it's, like yeah. a, it's like a Tulsa PD logo bouncing around all the sides. It's like, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean...
1: I mean, it's one of those things where they obviously built this set for the pilot, and they're like, we need to use this a couple more times, we oh, can't gotcha. dismantle this thing. Didn't
0: they have They had the Dr. Manhattan like phone booths and I think they also had this as like things you could get in to promote the show. I can't remember. Mm. Yeah. They definitely had the Manhattan ones, but yeah. Yeah, his medicine tastes bitter, doesn't it? <laughs> his own medicine, as she uh, just turns it all back around on him and he's unable to do his thing to her and she knows everything about him and he's just so disarmed. Like, we talked about how, like, clearly this character is suspicious of everyone and is always investigating everyone, and it makes him like completely unlikable. But he's good at his job, and then when he's confronted by someone who kind of does it too, it's like,
1: yeah, it's not nice, is it? You prick! Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's on the back foot immediately. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But it's through this, we find out that the chief's funeral is happening. Very, very soon, a couple of hours in fact. Yes. So, Tartarus to, Acres. <laughs> yes, Laurie goes to get into something darker
0: and we and, head off to the funeral. Oh, but uh, their motel is the Black Freighter Motel
1: I saw. I, I, I missed that. So oh, thank okay. You. Uh, they, they aren't allowed to hit their guns inside. Obviously, there are very stringent gun laws, Yeah. Uh, especially around police officers, where, I mean, obviously, Laurie's hidden a gun on her, but. Petey's just kind of going like, we're FBI agents, we shouldn't have to adhere to... Just give him your fucking gun, Petey. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and finally, almost halfway through the episodes, our first appearance of Angela Yeah. Uh, getting to meet Laurie Blake, so kind of immediately, as I said, these two have got fantastic chemistry. Yeah. I also really like the the kind of vague celebrity stuff, as, as Laurie introduces herself to Cal, and Cal's like, oh, have we met before? Like, Yes, essentially she is someone who might be a celebrity in this world, because even Petey early on is just like, oh I know we're not supposed we're not to... We're supposed to t- pretend
0: we don't know who you are. Oh, we're not supposed... We're supposed to pretend we don't know who you are. It's polite or whatever.
1: But yeah. yeah, but Cal kind of go like, Do, have we
0: met before? That? Who what? Yeah, there you are seems sometimes familiar. questions of like... To what degree... I mean, everyone knows what happened, but does everyone recognise all of them on site? Are the Minutemen as famous as the Crimebusters? Probably not, because the Crimebusters had a fucking god on the team. So, yeah, stuff like that is interesting, because Cal seems largely, like, disinterested in a lot of this, like, big shit that happens or has happened. And, yeah, it's just good everyday stuff. And Laurie, uh... (laughs) She says the thing... The I, It was in the trailers, but it's like, you know how you can tell the difference between a masked cop and a vigilante? Me neither. And it's like, yeah, there you go. Like, the original comic book is obviously a critique of superheroes using superheroes. And we talked about last week how, you know, you see the, the 7th Cavalry and their Rorschach masks, and then it's you cut to the cops all wearing masks, and you said how these are the same, basically. And I think this is getting
1: to that point of... Maybe people shouldn't wear masks and be fascists. <laughs> yes, like, the law shouldn't go into your hand. Our lead character is someone who very frequently is taking the law into her own hand. I don't think the show is ever condoning it, but she is very much a loose cannon cop, and Laurie has every reason to suspect that this person is not on the side of yeah. of the law, for yeah. whatever reason. And
0: if not involved, certainly dodgy in some way
1: (laughs) yeah so uh, we have this funeral service where uh, angela begins to sing like they had (laughs) she says that their what was to be read at their funerals were written for each other Uh, and obviously judd judd decided that she should sing is it from oklahoma uh i can't remember where it's from should note that down yeah um and then we get the ticking noise again (laughs) <laughs> yes, and intercut with this, this performance, we see a member of the Seventh Calvary kind of digging through the ground uh, until he emerges from a crypt and approaches the, the funeral party with a bomb strapped to him. And yep. threatened. He wants, he wants Senator Keane who's in attendance because he is friends with the family of, of Judd Crawford. And the 7th Calvary say he's a race traitor and yep. want to take him away.
0: And he is the one that, you know, has made it so the cops can be masked, which, you know, ruins their plans. And uh, he says this is connected to my heart, so if anyone if I die, you all die.
1: And, uh, well, Laurie just shoots him in the fucking head, doesn't she? <laughs> she does. Like, no hesitation. Yeah. I love the line later on where, obviously, after this, it turns out that the bomb is connected to his heart and they have to dispose the corpse very quickly and get everyone away. Yes. They and push... George shoves
0: him in the fucking...
1: <laughs> shoves him in the grave and then they shove the coffin on top of him. Yeah. But they have the conversation afterwards where Laurie and Angela sat there and Laurie's like, I genuinely did not think...
0: Yeah, all it of these gonna- assholes say it's connected to their heart, none of them ever bother to actually do it, so uh, thanks for that. <laughs>
1: it does make it
0: shows her as slightly fallible, because the entire like thing they're going for is she has rolled into town, and she is just hyper-competent. She has far more experience at this than anyone else. She's been doing this since she was like 15, in some capacity or another, and she's just smarter than everyone, and, you know, in some ways smarter than Angela, so to like have that one moment where like she was in the wrong i think that is important
1: yeah and, and even then because so angela goes back to investigate the crypt that the the seventh cavalry member comes out wearing the owl goggles and laurie kind of comes in from outside offers her a a, a coffee obviously planning to kind of take her dna get a, a read on that <laughs> yes Petey's coffee very important uh they have this kind of very tense incredible conversation between the two of them you get Laurie saying that she's fallible but she also is saying stuff like oh we're going to dig up the corpse because it's very weird that you decided to have this funeral yeah. during a murder uh, an active murder investigation i went to the crime scene there were wheelchair tracks which yeah. is very weird that you guys didn't notice that maybe you guys are being blinded by the fact that <laughs> this is someone that you know but i'm not gonna <sighs> let that shit yeah. shit go down, and she and also, yeah,
0: she's the only one interested in doing an autopsy. She mentioned it earlier, and Looking Glass was like, cause of death was pretty fucking clear or whatever. Um, yeah, but yeah, it makes her come across as smarter than
1: everyone else. It, yeah, she she comes across smarter than everyone else. She she found the she, compartment. <laughs> she found the compartment, which is a fantastic little like, a little moment where she's like, do you know, this guy had a compartment in his bedroom? Uh, My dad had a compartment in his bedroom when he was murdered. And so I just kind of check every so often. Every so often, it kind of pays off. Yeah, and, uh... (laughs) She's like, you don't
0: strike me as the fainting type, and... I love when she says, maybe you were having an affair which makes no sense because your husband's fucking hot. (laughs) i like, yes he is, but I like that people know he's hot in the show as well. It's like when characters are funny and no one laughs at what they say except us. It's like, no, come on, this dude's fucking hot. Everyone would say that. Would you you say what we know of of Laurie, that Cal was her type? Yeah. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, I think think Laurie is a very uh, sexually free person. Okay, um, okay. So, yeah, so Cal, Cal is her type, right? I, I don't think she's a racist, <laughs> if that's what you're getting at. Oh, put a pin in it. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: But in that definitely canonical comic, she went to San Francisco in the 60s. Like, she's got to be liberal, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun scene with a lot of power shift. Like, mm-hmm. once Laurie is talking about, like, what he's got in his closet, she's, she insists she found she- that she finds the bus and it's like there's nothing on it you're the only person in that bedroom you're the only one who could have taken something maybe he wanted you to hide something mm-hmm. And she kind of threatens Angela, and Angela's immediate response is to kind of mock, mock scared that ooh that she does. It's is... really
0: good. She's like ooh, and she's like fanning herself, and then just like yeah, not impressed, and then just yeah. pours the coffee down the hole and throws the cup and stuff. I
1: I know this trick. I literally did this on my granddad yesterday. <laughs> I
0: also like her line. Um, she says Crawford jumped on the grenade. I just gave him a push. Uh, mm-hmm. When they're talking about like how brave she was, I thought that was quite nice. And like clearly there is still reverence, even if you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that more I think in the next episode, but yeah, yeah. there's stuff happening there
1: Well obviously I think Laurie is shaken by this what happened here, like it's been a tough day mm. She shot someone in the head she's found someone who she its kind of prickly against, I don't think there's a dislike, but I definitely think there's like a, they're butting heads. I think
0: she fucks with people and she sees who fucks back with her and mm. like P.E. did it, and his reward is he knocks on a motel room in the middle of the night and uh wearing the mask and she fucks him.
1: And Yeah. Uh... But but first, she's obviously had a stressful day, so she goes home <laughs> and does what any what any person would do, which is bust out a dildo in the shape of their ex boyfriend's penis. Yep. And wants to have a wank. But then thinks better of it and goes sleeps with the person who is ostensibly her... Fanboy? <laughs> <like>, <laughs> uh, ostensibly her fanboy, but also she's the superior of which questionable, yeah. questionable work dynamics there. Yes. Uh, and goes to sleep with Petey, uh, makes him wear the mask, because obviously we need to have some of that psychosexual stuff. Like, not only... Mm. must the dildo be in the shape of her ex-boyfriend's penis yes It. she must also have sex with someone wearing a mask because a domino mask particularly a domino mask.
0: <laughs> who wore a domino mask?
1: Uh, the no, let's, let's not go there but okay. <laughs> obviously she regrets kind of like the events of this and this is when she goes off to tell the joke and the episode comes full circle with that car falling from the heavens yeah. as it ends really good showcase for Jean Smart
0: oh yeah she's a fucking powerhouse um getting to play someone, I think she's playing like younger than she often gets to, like she's like the matriarch in Fargo and she's like the, you know, older sort of, she's getting more frail, she's becoming unhinged in Legion and in this she's playing someone who is you know, more vibrant more like active, more take charge and she can do it it turns out, (laughs) because she's a really fucking great actress and it was lovely to see her cutting loose again yeah, uh, the the Peteypedia for this one. There's a memo from Petey about American hero story. Uh, I really like how he says something about critiques of machismo in our popular pirate movies, because, uh, <laughs> as you know from Watchmen, in a world where there are superheroes, pirates are the big sort of pop culture comic book and, and movie franchise bait, which is good. That's good stuff. There's the New Frontiersman editorial set. Oh my god, the line here. Where they're like, don't go to war with the cops. Manhattan's on Mars. He's blue. The planet's red. There's only one colour missing. Let's get our ass. <laughs> White to people! Mars. Yeah, e- exactly. If you didn't know, this is the racist paper. And then a letter from Keane to Judd about the, like, weird painting that we saw in episode two. Um, it's, like, a counterfeit, but it's by the original... It's weird, yeah, and it's, like, a it's... weird cult symbol at the bottom. I don't know if I'm supposed to
1: know what that is, but well yeah. episode four is it called if you don't like my story write your own written <laughs> by dame lindelof and crystal henry directed by Andrzej perek sadly the episode is not called the origin of lube man uh, which is obviously the most important thing that happens in this episode
0: yes that was a thing that
1: definitely happened <laughs> it is a thing that definitely happened it's the most leftovers ass thing that happens on this show yes probably yes like <laughs> it's it's very similar to the man walking into the, the, the bar and kind of murdering the goat mm. in the last where you're just kind of like, what is what?
0: happening? <laughs> I, one day then, I'm going to make you your perfect show, and it's just going to be people having the most mundane conversations in the world for five extended minutes, and then something incredibly surreal happens, and people don't react to it in a way that is sensical, and then it
1: goes Chippy. on. To be fair, Angela does react to that. She does say, way. "What the fuck?" Yes, but she you... says, "What the fuck?" and chases him down the road. He then <laughs> sprays canola oil over himself and then slides down it. a storm drain. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, obviously, uh, but that's not how the episode begins. Sadly, no. Instead... Uh, the episode begins oh. with someone cracking some eggs and a performance, a rendition of Islands in the Stream. Yes, uh, as we get this kind of like nice family life in Tulsa, where since being egg farmer is is struggling to sell her eggs can i say this was some
0: leftovers air shit as well like in a good way but yeah this this was very leftovers opening sort of weird scene lit
1: yeah who the fuck is this why are we focusing on them they're also called the clark family which Mm -hmm. if you know your dc comics that's a name
0: it is a name it's dr manhattan's son (laughs) That's not canon. Not don't, the don't not the
1: angle about. I was going for. Going going more for the angle of a uh, family who receive a baby on their doorstep after a rocket crash is on their land. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, if you want to be on the nose about it, then I'm choosing to believe this is them saying that Doomsday Clock is canon. <laughs> okay. okay. Even though it explicitly cannot happen based on the events of this show. <laughs> uh, yes, Lady True is here to steal my heart
1: and buy their land. <laughs> buy their land in exchange for a baby and five million dollars so that they can... Not just a baby,
0: their baby. Their ba- biologically, she bought the fertility company that they went to years ago, and I guess got hold of their various samples and got better tech and made them a fucking baby. And it has the mother's eyes, the father decides, in like five seconds. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's so it's... intriguing. She's like, for the next... I, what does she say? Like, 90 seconds, two minutes, you're the most important people in the world.
1: Yeah, for, for three minutes, Yes. It's like I need your devoted attention. If you do not do this the next three minutes, this deal goes away forever. You she will never get this again. She is
0: very adamant about the time. She's like, you have 30 seconds to decide or I will destroy the baby. And she goes, guys, I'm joking. I'll give it away. He <laughs> <Okay. laughs>
1: just will not know.
0: Yeah. Where. Yeah. She wants to give them five million dollars. Because, uh, for to cover moving expenses, she's like, you know, the land's been in your family for generations, but your legacy is people, not land. But you don't, you're infertile. Here's a baby. Here's five million dollars. Go the fuck away. Uh, and then, yeah, she is very adamant about the time. And then the second they sign and the hourglass uh, expires, we see something fall from the sky on their land now, knowing what we know about Lady True and the Doctor Manhattan network or whatever, I can only assume these are things falling from Mars that John is sending or accidentally sending or something, I don't know, I assume she is studying Doctor Manhattan in some way, shape or form, but okay, okay. we'll see, we'll see what's happening All I, sh- I, will, I will say, pay attention to the eggs pay attention to the eggs.
1: Yeah, eggs eggs are a current theme in this show Okay. And obviously this this scene had a lot of eggs. The woman dropped her eggs on the floor.
0: She did drop a lot of eggs and then eggs eggs lead to babies. And Angela made a smiley face out of eggs.
1: And did Miramask eat some eggs? No, he ate some like nuts. Okay. Some trail mix. But no, eggs eggs are a a recurrent theme in the show. Eggs mean new life. They do. They do. I'll pull it Uh, apart somehow. (laughs) But we put we cut from Lady True, uh, having bought this land and owning whatever it is that's just crash-landed on it, Mm. to Angela, reeling from her conversation with Laurie, where she decides to clean the fuck out of her kitchen, and a place where she works uh, sensibly in the Saigon bakery, destroying the wheelchair. We get to hear her answering message, where it says, uh, where we let Saigons be Saigons, which (sighs) is A plus pun work. Fuck you.
0: (laughs) No, no, it, it is, it is, but yeah, a really good uh, pun should make you like groan more than it should make you laugh. Yes,
1: <laughs> it's great. But she gets the phone call where yes. they say that like a new branch of Will's family tree has appeared. Mm. So she does what any sensible person would do, which is fake
0: a break-in so she Hered- can break
1: in. Fake a- <laughs> no, yeah, fake a break-in so she can break in. She goes to the heritage center, calls up the office, and is just like, "Oh, the silent alarm's gone off in this place." And they're like, "No, it hasn't." Like, yeah, yeah, it will. If it goes off again, it's just me. Yeah, exactly. Goes, if the
0: alarm goes off, it's just me investigating it, and then she breaks the window. Yeah, she's like, I've got a broken window. Have you had it tripped? And they go, no. And she's like, okay, I'm going to check it out. Do you want backup? No, it's okay. And then, yeah. A very cool little system they have where they, like, 3D print you an acorn, and then you go to the, the greenhouse and plant it. The Ancest it. Tree. Yes, the ancestry. Tree. Uh, and then, yeah, I think this shot was in the trailer as well. Angela looking as this big tree of light expands in front of her and one of the branches is for Will
1: yes yeah she gets to meet her great grandparents because that's been filled in like Will connects to these two people that they found the DNA of two people who died in Tulsa in 1921 Mm -hmm. and she kind of has this very visceral emotional moment looking at it Mm where like she's looking
0: and it's like the only photo is of him as a baby so she's like cursing out this baby (laughs) yeah leave me the fuck
1: alone she she like there is very strong generational trauma stuff going on here like she she regrets the deaths of people that she never got to meet but also hates this man for kind of bringing this all back into context like obviously we have to assume that she received the red fordations through her mother because You would just like, if they didn't know who her grandfather was, she wouldn't have been entitled to these reputations. So, obviously, her mother must have some generational trauma going back. Yeah. That means that she's entitled to that. But it's not really, like, cleared up. But obviously, this is her knowing for sure that she had people who lived in Tulsa who were deeply affected by these 1921 events Hmm. and how it's kind of, like, reverberated on from the outside. Yeah. Uh, Uh, when
0: When she finishes shouting at him what do we hear? The car crashing uh, into the street uh, to link up with Laurie's episode from before, and they, they have another conversation.
1: Yes. Uh, again, lots full of lots of passive-aggressive barbs at each other. It's it's just a good relationship. These two more scenes together. This is very <laughs> much like reminding me of Regina King and Carrie Coon's relationship in the oh, Letho. god. That episode that just ended with them talking was
0: so yes. good.
1: Yes. Angela goes out to the car, she just kind of brings out the the keys and turns off the alarm <laughs> uh, climbs inside, obviously it... she's wearing her sister night uniform, mm. so is kind of doing the whole kind of like oh, I like your costume. Cool costume, uh, yeah Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But most importantly, Angela finds Will's pills inside the car yeah. uh, which have been left in there
0: mm. Did he not tr- hmm. I thought he tried to leave them for her at the bakery maybe and then maybe she didn't take him, so he then left them again, I think is potentially the implication here. but also... Something going on with them pills. Yes, I, yes, that is definitely true. I like her crashing in Topher's room. Um,
1: yeah, the bed's been taken over by the girls and Cal, and she's yeah. like, I'm not dealing with that. I'll go sleep with Topher. <laughs> yeah, and he gives
0: her his stuff to be a Yeah. That's nice, I like that. Well, after she's saying that she feels scared, so he's like, here you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then we get the next morning. They again have a conversation about Laurie and and what's going on there,
0: and also uh, Cal, Cal answers what happens after you die. And it was refreshing to see this tackled in this
1: manner on TV. I will say, um, you, you refreshing? it refreshing. It's it's an incredibly cold thing to say to the kids, but I do it like. Is, but it, but I do like the kids have like zero reaction to it afterwards, exactly, and actually just yeah. like what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, but what you know they do not give a shit. They're just
0: distracted immediately. Yeah, no, but I think
1: I know. It, it obviously, like Watchmen is a series that's kind of very open about death, as Doctor Manhattan says in the comic, and as Laurie repeated last episode. There is no difference between a live body and a dead body, mm, entirely, and yeah. and in and in some ways, this scene kind of reminds you of that, where it's like death doesn't mean anything; it, it's just a transition from one form to another.
0: Yeah, and Angela said to Topher, like, you know, you and I know different, so I am going to be straight with you. Like, she talked to him like an adult, and I. <laughs> I don't know what ages these kids were supposed to have been when they took them in. And I don't think... I, I don't want to say that, like, Cal is, like, a reluctant father. Like, he seems, like, fully on board with it all. It's just, like, on some level, is it, like, because you didn't, like, plan for kids as much, you're, like, not as equipped for this conversation, so you're just doing it the only way you know how i, I don't know but
1: yeah they uh... i mean yeah so yeah yaya's 33 years old in real life yes. so them having these kids like you could possibly assume that he had them when he was about 30 and maybe wasn't kind of ready for them in the same way that angela might have been yeah uh, but but you also again he he does obviously very much like them there's the scene of them playing pirates in the last episode where he, yeah. they're running around as ghosts and they're they're Oh yeah, Doing
0: they they, they seem like good parents it's just, there are moments like this where they kind of just talk to them like they would an adult and you know, I think, I mean obviously I don't have kids so it's not really my place to talk about good and bad parenting, but you know I think that is a, an approach that could be tried a little bit more sometimes.
1: So, yeah. yeah, it's refreshing but Angela decides to go visit Wade Tillman at his home mm. she finds him in his back garden in what looks like a bomb shelter. Yes uh, surrounded by pictures of the squids, yeah. he says he says the alarm didn't go off that long, so he kind of went up to get some photos. Hmm. Uh, definitely someone who's very interested in the squids.
0: Yeah, he he has his little uh, dark room full of, of photos, including the squids, and uh, she wants his ex, who runs like a private DNA testing lab or, or some some kind of lab, not DNA, to analyze the pills. And I can't remember how it's phrased, but it's like, do you reckon he's involved?
1: Do you reckon it looks like we've got ourselves a reckoning or something like that? And it's just smart. He says that, but I also I also quite enjoy because she she wants the pills to be checked, but she also gives him the, the oh the, robes the uniform yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. From inside Judd's oh, office, yeah, she, of like... she's
0: like, he was a racist. And he, was, he was a black, uh, he was a white man in Oklahoma, and then she hands him a the it's... KKK outfit. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, fine. It's a, it's a
1: great, a great line. It's like, of course he's racist. Yeah. <laughs> you know well, where of we course are.
0: He's a bit racist. I'm a bit racist. <laughs> it's a good, good little, yeah. But he has a KKK uniform.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Uh... So she
1: leaves it there, goes off to dump evidence. Runs into Loot Man, but we've covered that already. The most important (sighs) scene in the episode. What's going on there? Just that thing of, like, you know, she dumps
0: it and then she looks over the road and he's just, like, frozen looking at her. And then, like, what the fuck? And then just running off after him. Um, And then, for all I know, he's never fucking going to be mentioned again. But... That would be a
1: really cruel thing for the show to
0: do. Yeah, it's Damon Lindelof. (laughs) (laughs) His first language is cruel. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But the new boss won't have any interest in that. No,
1: the new boss is Laurie, who's taken over Judd's office. Angela's (laughs) not happy about this. No. Uh, Again, again, it's just lots of nice conversation between the two of them. Again, Laurie has kind of figured out a hell of a lot of stuff in the the two minutes she's been off screen. Mm -hmm. She's got background information on Will Reeves. She knows that he was a cop in New York in the 40s and 50s. Uh, If he was over 100 years old, if he was still alive, uh, he would use a wheelchair to get around. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, which I, I just, her heavy implication and then Petey comes in whispers in the ear and they're just like right we found the only person who's got something that can lift a car up in the middle of the night and jump it Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. And she
0: also talks to her about like how people wear masks to hide trauma and she lets Petey do exposition on hers and he calls American Hero Story garbage it's a good little beat and yeah, kind of yeah. crazy her having someone
1: tell that story to someone else it's, yeah she yeah, just... she gives no fucks these days, does she? <laughs> she does not. Yeah, superheroes wear master shield themselves from trauma, and says she doesn't have any trauma, even though every scene we see her reckoning with like her family history, there's a hell of a lot of trauma there.
0: And she's like, um, and she's like, a nun, eh? Were you raised by nuns? <laughs> <laughs>
1: did nuns kill your family? Uh, I did enjoy them talking about their exes. Yes, I like that. Laurie's just like, well, John's no cow, like because t- cow seems so much more switched on. Mm. Than John Osterman.
0: Oh, yeah, being being present literally is all you need to be uh,
1: a better boyfriend
0: than John. I think.
1: Also, fun little fact: the song that's playing in the radio and the car as they're driving along is the song that Dan and Laurie have sex to in the Owl Ship in the comic book.
0: Oh, um, you're my thrill. You're my thrill is yeah. the song. Yeah,
1: it's nice, nice, little kind of, Again, a lot of the music in these two episodes are pulled directly from the page of the comic. We didn't mention it because we've not actually touched on what's going on with Vipe yet but the, the stuff that he's playing is all Jamaican dub, uh, which is the, what he references in the, in the interview that he does in the back matter of the comic books, which I found quite fun. Yeah. Have, have you heard of this genre of music? It's brand new from, from Jamaica.
0: <laughs> I love that a huge part of Ozymandias' backstory is he went backpacking around the world and did a bunch of peyote and did a naked walk in the desert and had a revelation. Like, he's, yeah. he's just a fucking
1: drugged up hippie. Like, yeah.
0: Who, who happens who, to be the smartest man in the world. <laughs>
1: yep. But yeah, lots of fun. P.T. describing it. Again, again. P.T.'s not someone who gets flashed out an awful lot, but he's a fun presence to have on the side. Yeah. They go to Lady True's compound, where she's building this millennium clock that keeps on getting brought up throughout the episode.
0: Yeah, they flew over... They they saw it out the window when they were flying in episode three. Yeah.
1: Did, it's, uh, ob- and it's, the- it, like, it's obviously something... Maybe there's just more money in Oklahoma, because they've decided that... This is where the redvidations or a portion of the redvidations are gonna go. I think in the back matter they mentioned that like there's events that are chosen to to have redations pay out, and this is one of those events that they decide to pay out. So obviously there's more money in Tulsa. Mm. That's what, so leads True is building the Millennium Clock, whatever it's,
0: that means. It's become the Black Wall Street it was uh, It was intended to be. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Uh, but the person who works at Lady True's refuses to answer questions about who could have flown it the other night.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then Bayan, Lady True's daughter, who we met in episode two, we bought all the newspapers. The newspapers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comes along to to field the questions and take them for tea in the vivarium because if you have Ozymandias' money, you're gonna build a fucking vivarium. Oh, of course.
0: And she says how um, you know they say, oh, are you building the the eighth wonder of the world? And she says no, she's building the first wonder of the new world um, mm. because she says how all these other ones got destroyed by this, that, and the other. And uh, apparently, this clock it would take like a full on nuclear strike to knock it down. It's, like, earthquake proof, and, and this,
1: that, and the other, and... Yeah. yeah. I also like the vivarium they've got this, uh, she says it's built for her mother, like, her mother was this quite forceful person who wants her to grow these flowers that... She said you to can Vietnam. never,
0: you can never leave Vietnam, so now Vietnam has come with her. <laughs> yes, Yes. And I fucking love them, because, you know, something I wondered, when she was, when it was clear that there was some involvement with Dr. Manhattan, I was like, is she Vietnamese? You know, because I am a racist, so all Asian people are the same. So that maybe she's Vietnamese. And what did John do in Vietnam? Maybe she wants revenge. I don't know. But she and Angela, they're like, oh, there's an old saying. And then they talk to each other in Vietnamese, like, right in front of Laurie's face. And are like, you know, oh your grandfather says something or other, and then she's your, like, your grandfather wants to know, did you get the pills? Yes, and then she's like, oh, well I had a saying that was like, tell him to fucking ask me himself, or
1: something like that. I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, it's yeah. fun, again, lots of nice little relationships being formed between these characters, and also very nice for them all to be female characters as well. Yes. Of different races, and also all of ages that is, like historically don't get these kind of roles yes. in this kind of show.
0: Like Angela is on like the upper limit of what is normally a female protagonist in a show or a leading female in a show. We don't get many uh leading women but uh like as in central character as a woman. But uh yeah. Gina King is almost fifty and it's insane yeah. that
1: she looks as good as she does.
0: Yeah. But it's insane that like we don't make shows about 40-plus-year-old women.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and again, again, three of the main characters in this women are all 40-plus-year-old women, and it's not a show about, oh, they're so old, oh, they're so incompetent, or uh, making wow. fun of, or making fun of, like, it's not Golden Girls, where yeah. it's all about, oh, look, they're having sex, isn't this weird and wacky?
0: <laughs> that old lady's got a giant blue dildo, <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, they're definitely not doing that, because ostensibly the most powerful person in the show so far is a 100-year-old man. So.
1: Yeah. Uh, we'll skip over the bite stuff and get cut to the closing scene of the episode with bian waking up from what appears to be a nightmare uh, pulling an iv from her arm and going to find her mother who does not want to walk her back to bed <laughs> yeah does not want to walk her back to bed she tells the story about how she walked for so long and her feet were tired when she woke up and i'm just like that's nice dear that sounds good go back to bed <laughs> off, i've got to go... you fuck <laughs> i've got to go talk to this 105 year old man who can fucking walk
0: I'm doing a supervillain meeting right now. Can you go away? <laughs> yeah,
1: he also just looks
0: younger. I don't know. I don't know if that's the case, but it it struck me as like in the first two episodes they were aging him up and this is just what this actor looks like normally. But he certainly seemed more sprightly overall, not just standing up and walking around like he had more youth about him. But it might just be how he's choosing to play that scene, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, they bicker about the pills being too cute, too on the nose. He's like... Too
1: passive-aggressive exposition.
0: Yes. And which he's he like, says
1: is the same thing you're doing with your daughter.
0: And she says, no, it's not. <laughs> and she makes that point about how family like makes people get cold feet. She says how family makes people get cold feet, so it's like is she, like, a reluctant mother? Is she, like, deliberately distant so she can do her world-ending plans? Maybe the world-ending? I don't fucking know. They look up at the clock, and
1: we get the tick-tock tick-tock again. Yeah, so... He's like, I'm all in for whatever their plan is going on in the background. Yeah, and, like, she'll,
0: like, in two days or something like that, I don't know if he says that, but, like, he's like, Angela will know, and then she'll never forgive me for betraying her, or something to that effect, and... Yeah, so clearly something is going on with Will, and Lady True, and the stuff falling, and I assume the clock is actually some sort of device that does something, and they're planning to do it in a few days. Maybe it calls John back to Earth, maybe it- maybe they're trying to do the squid thing again, but in a different way, because Laurie makes the comment of like, oh, you've got a fucking statue of him, why did you have him look so fucking old? and she says Uh, because he is old and it's like that to me was like she's seen him recently that's not just because it's not like an artist rendition or like last known image it looks
1: exactly like him and it's like I love love that they ask like is that Adrian Veidt and she's like yeah it is like it's like they don't quite recognise him but
0: well yeah because I mean he he vanished from public life and and then Mm. he literally vanished and Yeah, that very good question of why wouldn't you have a statue made of him from, like, you know, his glory days? And she's like, oh, in my country, we respect our elders. But I guess I need to talk about Adrian Veidt now, don't I? You do need
1: to talk about Adrian Veidt. So, what was he up to in episode three, the third anniversary of him being wherever he is?
0: Okay, well, thank you for confirming that's what the anniversary thing is about. He (laughs) makes a little custom astronaut suit for (laughs) the latest Mr. Phillips. He, like, cuts the top off of a, like what do you call it, like a little bell jar, or whatever you put those? Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
1: he cuts, He cuts. he's like the only seal-proof piece of glass that he's got, that he welds the inside of a a, a piece of armour.
0: Yeah, and then we don't actually really get to see what happens with that, we just see later on that this Mr. Phillips has died,
1: and it didn't work, and he's like, we need a thicker skin... He froze to death, Matt, and then he like stamps on him while swearing. And yes. I watched this scene next to my partner, and she was just giggling the entire time. Because uh, I've seen people on the internet they compare it to this is some Looney Tunes ass stuff in these scenes. It's and so it's the it most be. <laughs> it, yeah in for whatever like the rest of the show is it's funny like Gene yeah. Smart is very funny and the and but the show is still quite serious at times. Yeah, and then and it's you like, cut now to now for one.
0: something lighter. Here's a crazy old man doing weird shit. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> um, there is a squid magnify like they pan over his possessions, and he's got like a magnifying glass over a book, and I think it's a picture of a squid um there is a pirate flag in the ground outside and I mean, I don't think Black Freighter is supposed to relate directly to any one character, but I think the one that a lot of people say he is the the guy in Black Freighter are supposed to be in a, a metaphor for is Adrian Veidt and like how he was pushed to this edge or whatever. But either way, cute little nod. There is a field of bison. Yep. Yep. Which are extinct or endangered or either way. Uh they're just chilling, and he shoots one dead in the eye with a bow, because don't forget, he's not just the smartest guy in the world, he's just annoyingly good at everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, he was a gymnast, he was this, that, and the other when he was younger. Uh, but then a mysterious figure on a horse stops him, fires a shot at his foot, and then they get a letter later that uh, is read out. And From it's the Game Warden. The Game Warden, who is very polite and cordial, but is like, the terms of our agreement... And is talking about captivity. So, you know, that is tipping the hat that he is in some way trapped here and must be using these clones to try and puzzle his way out. Uh, and, you know, he signs off his letter as Adrian Veidt, and he's I wearing love full his costume. Letter. His letter is very good. And him wearing the full, full, proper costume, like, nothing could be more depressing than Zack Snyder's version that is, like, grey and silver and black. And then you see the comic book accurate one that is just so gaudy and purple and gold and it's like, mwah, perfect. With the little headband and everything.
1: Yeah, and again, they play it as a reveal, but it's not a reveal that changes anything or feels out of place, it's just he's decided at this point, right, I'm gonna be Ozymandias again, this requires some more work. Yes.
0: Oh, is the catapult in this one or the, or the next one?
1: Catapult's in the next one. Okay,
0: alright, well yeah, he uh... <laughs> so in the next one he fishes <laughs> he's out in a boat on a lake. And he is fishing fetuses out of the lake and picking which ones are good and which ones are rubbish and chucking the ones he doesn't approve of back. Yep. And then he, he takes a couple back, puts them in a little... Uh, in the oven. Hey presto, easy bake oven. And then when he walks, he walks across the room and comes back, I think he puts his music on, and then they are adult and naked. And uh, then he takes them to the manor. So clearly a different location to the manor or the castle or whatever and he's like telling them like you know you won't be able to speak for a couple of hours but you can understand and while i am your while i'm your master i'm not your maker because i wouldn't burden you with this kind of i don't know but there's a room full of dead clones and he says i had a bad night and we saw what he did to uh, the one that froze to death i assume he just Whenever anything goes wrong, he doesn't deem these to be really alive, proper people, clearly, because of how he treats them, so he just murders them for, to vent his frustrations. Yeah, uh, like, they
1: they gave him his cake. He's seen eating his 4th anniversary cake, you see yes. it in the background of the scene. I also uh, note
0: that, you know, 4th anniversary, 4th episode, that kind of thing, uh, I think he's been missing for 7 years, as of the beginning of the show, so... That would mean he could return to you know interact with our characters in episode eight potentially. I don't know. We'll see. And yeah, they fucking launch these corpses <laughs> with a giant catapult and they go sailing through the sky. And he doesn't seem to really be attempting to achieve anything other than maybe he's disposing of them. I don't fucking know. But Ozzy, like they
1: disappear into the sky, and there's this is fantastic. Transition shot where it becomes the moon as they <laughs> yes. zoom away, yeah. and it's like, Is the implication here is of the fucking moon? Is yeah, I, I
0: wondered, Is he on Mars? Did John make him a prison on Mars and change his mind and say, Actually, no, you do need to be in prison? But I don't think so because John
1: left that interaction like, I don't give a shit,
0: I'm off to make my own people.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, also, that is that's the thing, like. Someone has created this life, and yes. Ozymandias says he it's says not He says how
0: when he arrived, it seemed like paradise, but now he realises it's a, it's a prison. So he's clearly trying to escape this place. Yeah, I don't know who this gamekeeper is. That will be interesting to see how that plays out. I Some part of me wonders if, is he trying to create clones that are fully clever and actualised? Is he in some way trying to, like, clone the three million dead people later? I don't fucking know. All I know is Jeremy Irons seems to be having some fun. I don't believe for one single second he understood what the fuck they wrote for him.
1: (laughs) That's that's my (laughs) favourite thing. People who do genre stuff quite this often, and when this is something this weird and off-kilter, how can you look at this on the page and go, this is going to be fun to play, but also what the actual fuck is this? I think at this
0: point in his career he's just... It's a job. I don't get a huge number of offers, so I'll take whatever. Hopefully it's good. I hear you're quite good at these shows. I've never seen any of them. (laughs) Yeah, so clearly, well, as you have said, the anniversary of when he arrived at this place. And,
1: uh, a year yeah, like he one. has this. He has this conversation in episode four where kind of he lays out some of this. S- uh, but obviously, yeah. he still he still a regular. We're still going to get our our requisite check-ins. Good. I think he's going to encounter some of the other characters at some stage. Or again, that would be incredibly mean of Damon Lindelof if he didn't interact with the main cast. I mean,
0: they could do another thing, like you know, a one-up on "I did it thirty-five minutes ago." I did it seven years ago, or something like that. Yeah. Because, you know, they're celebrating an anniversary of some kind. Maybe he feels he's done something good, which is why they celebrate that anniversary. I don't know. I am still going with Keen is orchestrating stuff to make himself look more politically appealing and to orchestrate things to his liking. Lady True is up to something with Manhattan. Those are my my ongoing predictions. (laughs) Those are your ongoing
1: predictions? Cool. Uh, It's nice to have a check-in, but that is... Episode three and Episode four of Watchmen next week. Episode five and Episode six. Squids, Looking Glass, flashbacks. Good. Oh, That's Lindelof and a flashback. I'd never believe it. That's what you got to look forward to in the next two episodes. But I hope Excellent. you're excited.
0: I am. I'm very excited. I like this show an awful lot. As I said, I am somewhat depressed. It's like half over you now. But hey, uh, they've got a lot to get to. Dr. Manhattan has to show up eventually. He does.
1: He does. He does. Right. So as we have been saying, I'm going to stick two hours of silence at the end of this episode.
0: Yeah. Nothing ever ends, but this podcast does? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, nothing ever ends, but this podcast does. Otherwise, we will go insane, and also we couldn't watch the show more. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to go watch more, and we'll see you next week. Yes. Farewell. Thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. All that lovely jazz. Other podcasts on our network, I'm sure you're seeing those as they pop up.
0: We've got... Uh devilishly good one coming up after this by the way
1: (laughs) yes yes we'll we'll stop teasing we've we've changed our plans for taking a break after this podcast before we run into there will be movies volume two um (laughs) it's the dumbest thing that i've ever proposed to matt but also the moment i told him the title he was on board i can't
0: stop thinking about it anyway that's for several weeks from now Uh, yes until then squids
1: squids thank you for listening that well bye